This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. Today, we're taking the full episode to do a deep dive on Dyson Zone's air filters. And Gadget put them to the test, and here's what we found. This spring, Dyson launched the Zone, which pairs noise-canceling headphones with an air-purifying visor. It was swiftly met with backlash for its funky, Bane-like aesthetic. Oh, and its $949 price tag. What no one could have predicted, though, is that just a few months after Zone launched, a massive Canadian wildfire would billow enough smoke across the East Coast to turn New York City's skyline into a surreal orange nightmare. The orange scare was a freakishly timely event that drew attention to the climate crisis. This in tandem with the World Health Organization's WHO estimates that 9 in 10 people around the world are breathing in air that exceeds pollutant limits should be enough to scare anyone, especially considering how quickly urbanization is growing, exacerbating those problems. Suddenly, AQI entered everyone's vocabulary, and probably more than a few people started giving the Dyson Zone another look. Dyson's reputation as a maker of household air purifiers gives the company solid ground to build on. It's just making the tech wearable. The company claims that the Zone's two-stage sealed filtration system can remove 99% of ultra-fine particles and city fumes. Dyson's engineering lead told Engadget that the Zone uses an electrostatic filter to capture particulates as small as 0.1 microns. That paired with an activated carbon filter that she claims can absorb fumes and gases such as nitrogen dioxide, the main pollutant emitted by cars, trucks, and buses, is the bread and butter of the filter. Keep in mind, though, that the zone will require electrostatic filter replacements anywhere from every 6 to 12 months, depending on the dirtiness of the city you're based in. The carbon filter, on the other hand, Dyson Engineer said will not need to be replaced as often and should only be swapped out when it starts smelling. The zone has three airflow rates based on your level of activity. Rest, level 1, light, level 2, and moderate, level 3. Dyson said the best way to get the most out of the zone is by setting it to auto mode to preserve battery life, a big point of contention which we'll get to later. The zone is smart enough to know when to increase the filtration rate depending on the wearer's movement and breathing rate. The more you strain and move, the more inhaling and exhaling, and the more filtration is needed. And Gadget picked three locations to test how well the zone performed, including a clean lab as a control and a subway station in New York City, followed by a busy intersection. We reached out to experts at NYU's Grossman School of Medicine who work in partnership with the university's Langone's Center for the Investigation of Environmental Hazards to help us test the Dyson Zone's filtration system. 
The subway is a good substitute for a worst-case scenario, said Terry Gordon, NYU professor at the Grossman School of Medicine, who helped Engadget run these tests. Gordon, who has researched the underground transit systems and its health effects on commuters, says that in a scenario where an air quality emergency is not taking place, the air quality inside a subway station is comparable, meaning how well the zone does in the subway station would be a good indicator of how well it would perform during another acute air pollution crisis. Once we agreed on a mission, our aim was simple. Test how well the zone removed pollutants from the air surrounding a wearer's breathing zone. No pun intended. We primarily used two lab-grade devices, a portable particulate monitor and a particulate counter. The portable particulate monitor gave us real-time measurements of PM10 and PM2.5 particulates in the air, which are the two main types of pollutants scientists care about and differentiate based on size. Meanwhile, a particulate counter is used to measure the concentration of pollutants left in the air. In an ideal world, we would have liked to test the zone's ability to filter out volatile organic compounds, VOCs, or toxic chemicals that come from home products and natural sources like benzene, formaldehyde, or acetone, but these compounds were not easily detectable in the city streets or on the subway by our handheld VOC detector. This made sense since the subway tract is mostly run on electricity, not coal or gas. For each test, we collected data while the Dyson Zone's visor blew air in Engadget editor Malak Saleh's face instead of a dummy head. We did it this way for two reasons. For one, the lab-grade dummy head was not always detected by the zone, so the filter would not run properly. Also, this allowed us to include real-world user experience in our assessment. So, first, in the NYU lab, while the visor blew fresh air into Malak Saleh's face, Gordon's PhD students, David Luglio and Antonio Saparito, held clear tubes connected to both the portable particulate monitor and the particulate counter in the path of the airflow. This happened in the small, cramped space between the plastic visor and her lips. By doing this, we were able to gauge how the numbers recorded on the devices changed when the filter was turned on and off. Because it was a clean lab, the air quality was already pretty good. When we turned on the filter to rate 3, the volume of PMs measured by the monitor dropped to 0. No surprise there. We applied the same method on the 14th Street 1st Avenue subway platform in Manhattan's Lower East Side, which is often flooded with college students taking the L train into Brooklyn. Using the particulate monitor and the particulate counter, we recounted how the filter did before and after being turned on. The results clearly demonstrated the zone's effectiveness. The ambient particle monitor went from giving a reading of 200 micrograms of particle matter per cubic meter of air before it dropped close to 50. This meant the air quality went from dangerous to normal with the zone running a level 3. Meanwhile, the particulate counter went from measuring 20,000 particulates per cubic centimeter to under 1,000 at the level 3. So instead of all those fine particles going up into Malak Saleh's respiratory tract, they were wafted away through the filtration system. NYU doctoral student David Luglio, whose thesis work has primarily focused on the health effects of long-term exposure to subway air quality in large metropolitan areas in cities like New York and D.C., was shocked by how well the zone filtered the subway air. 
Air quality in the subways in general, wildfire or not, is probably one of the worst environments to be in in New York City because concentrations are typically at least 100 micrograms per cubic meter, and outside on a typical day, it is only 10 or less. In our final test, we used the same method on the busy street corner right across from the subway station. Again, the zone did its thing. Readings from the two live monitors spiked and dropped again, proving that the zone actually worked. It's Dyson, and Dyson knows particles and filtrations. That's what they're famous for, Gordon said. The Dyson zone proved it can remove ambient particles from the surrounding air, he continued. Those particles are the main contributor to the adverse health effects of air pollution, more so than ozone, NO2, SO2, and ultimately wearing a device like the zone will protect your lungs and your heart from the adverse health effects of long-term air pollution. Now, this is all great in theory. However, there almost always has to be a catch with experimental devices that explore new categories like the zone does the battery life. Unfortunately, while testing, the zone would only last about an hour and a half. We had to keep a charger handy in case it decided to shut off. This, coupled with the fact that we weren't even using the audio feature while testing, gave us the impression that the device is still a long way from being practical for everyday use. Dyson is fully aware of this issue. While Dyson's capacity to boost battery life in its handheld vacuums could be a good indicator that there are loads of gains to be made for the zone, it's nearly impossible to justify the $949 asking price. That, coupled with the fact that the climate crisis is worsening day by day, some consumers, and gadgets, Malak, Saleh included, might not be willing to wait for Dyson. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Today's show featured journalism by Engadget contributor Malak Saleh and was produced by Spoken Layer. I'm Imran Sheikh, and we'll talk more tomorrow. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow morning for our new news podcast, Engadget Today, for tech news with a much-needed touch of tranquility. Spoken Layer. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.